Good evening, listeners. I am Lydia Frey from Kosisabantu Mission. We are so grateful that we can be with you once again. Uh, tonight we will be listening to a testimony of Gail Pryor. And um, yeah, I'm just so happy that she's with me. She is one of my sisters from years back. We go way back. Good evening, Gail. Welcome here. <laughs> thank you, Lydia. Good evening, everybody. Um, I thank the Lord for this opportunity to be able to come and share my testimony tonight. Because um, it's only by God's grace that I am sitting here. Yes, yes. No, it's it's truly without the Lord's grace and the Holy Spirit intervening, a person can do nothing. Just like the Lord says in His mm. Word in John 15, that without Him we can do nothing. And this is why we are here tonight. We would like to encourage um, those of you who are listening. You know, there's no coincidence in life. The Lord allowed it so that you tuned in tonight. Maybe you are uh, longing for a change, for for a refreshment, so to say, in life. And uh, we really trust that this testimony would bless you and that it would even give you guidance. Now, <clears throat> like I said in the beginning, we are from Kwasi Sabantu Mission. Um, for those of you who haven't maybe heard about us, let me just explain again. Kwasi Sabantu stands for Place Where People Are Helped. <clears throat> and um, we it's a Zulu name. The reason for it being Zulu is because our main mission is situated in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, the mission started many, many years ago where the Lord worked through Reverend Erlu Stegen and the Lord sent a mighty revival through His Holy Spirit in 1966. And from there the fire of the Lord just spread and um, various, um, from the main mission, various branches were started. And a branch was also started in Cape Town. And this is where we come in. We are a branch of the Kwasisabantu mission. Now, um, what I would just like to share briefly is that Reverend Stegen had a longing for the Lord to work in a deep way and that people should really be saved and not just saved but but to be disciples, people that can stand for the Lord and then he started seeking the Lord and you know, um, listeners, the Lord pointed out to him the very important matter about pride the Lord showed him, my child, if you want me to work, you need to humble yourself. And um, it is such a joy to me to relate this to you because, um, like I said in the beginning, maybe you are longing for a change in your life, but there are certain things that you have to humble yourself and set right. You know, sometimes a person needs to go back to others and ask for forgiveness and really set things right so that the Lord can work. Um, I'm really looking forward for my sister to share on a testimony. I think she will also touch on this important subject. Thank you, Gail. You can share with us. Okay, today I'm actually very nervous. Yeah, I haven't done this for a long time. So mm -hmm. I just want to start off by sharing 
Psalm 40, which is a thanksgiving psalm and a cry for help, which I had in the beginning. In verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me, and he heard my cry for help. Man, um, I grew up in Cape Town in Devil's Peak. Um, we were a family. We were quite poor. Um, I, I'm the from a second marriage. My, I have two stepsisters and a stepbrother and a half-brother. Um, so it wasn't a normal family situation. Um, there was lots of animos- animosity in the family. Um, my dad, unfortunately, he liked to drink. So it caused a lot of unpleasantness. He used to do shutdowns. And then he would come come home after a shutdown and go gamble with his friends. And it used to cause a lot of problems at home. And this used to cause my parents to fight And then there was no money because he would gamble the money out. Although he was a very loving father and he always taught us principles in life, good principles, he just had this drinking problem. So it made things very unpleasant. And that's how it went through my my early days. And living with with, um, stepsisters and brothers wasn't easy because there's there's always a lot of jealousy that goes on and being the youngest... Um, you, they seem to your parents seem to pay a lot of t- attention to you, and it causes things between your brothers and sisters. But anyway, that's how it went in primary school. I then went up, went to high school, and when I got to high school, I started searching. I, I went to Sunday school, when at first in primary school, and I met up with the Lord, and I loved the things at Sunday school, and. I just wanted to be there on a Sunday. For, for me, it was sort of a safe place to be, um, away from the scaling in the house and the environment at home. So I loved going to Sunday school. And then eventually I, I got older and I went to youth group when I went to high school. And I became part of the youth and we went on youth camps. And I was very involved. And um, it was it was something wonderful for me. Um, I eventually got baptized in the Baptist church And I wanted to be a Sunday school teacher, but somehow um, things just didn't turn out like that. I, in high school, I started looking around and I saw all these pupils that were the popular guys in the school. And I wanted to be one of these popular guys, um, the ones that smoked and hung out at the shop in the afternoon. And they always seemed to have so much fun. And I wanted, and the pretty girls, and I wanted to be with them. And that was part of my downfall. Um, I started hanging around with these crowds and I started smoking cigarettes. And that was in grade nine. And then uh, we, we started going to parties. It was nice for us to get together on the weekends. And the parties led from one thing to another and it was Dacha involved. And we would have start smoking dacha and that was all part of the fun it was that's what we thought was fun at the time and then it got a bit out of hand because we started smoking mandrakes and that went on through my school my high school career and I was I was I really wanted to be an an artist or a a veterinary surgeon Um, and that was the end of my plans because the mandrakes through smoking mandrakes and drugs it really brought me to the end of everything. Everything just went downhill. Um, my school career went downhill. 
when I matriculated, I, I failed matric. Um, I was working already, which actually made it even worse because I was then earning some money. Um, I was working on weekends and the more money you get, the more you used to, to have your so-called fun. And I used it for more drugs. Um, so when I wanted to rewrite my matric in March, um, it was really, uh, it was a joke because I never ever, I did worse than when I, when I wrote in matric. Yeah, and then I continued to work. And it was fun at work. Then I would start popping over the counter poles with, with fellow workers, um, and that was my everyday routine. We would we we would pop poles just to go on a high, just to get through the day, and so it went on until it got very out of hand. Um, I had a problem with drugs, and I didn't go and get help. I then met somebody who I thought I loved, who was also a drug addict, and I married this man. Um, a marriage between two drug addicts doesn't work. Um, but we got married and we had a son. Eventually, um, my husband had a good job. Um, we started spending most of our money on buying drugs, um, there was no time for anything else. We, if we didn't have money for drugs, we'd start selling our stuff in the house. We would even go without food and depend on our in-laws to, to bring us food because both our salaries weren't enough for our drugs. Um, it got very out of hand. I became violent. I became abusive to my husband. He would come home from work. I would lock him out of his own house. And eventually he had to leave me. He couldn't live with me anymore. So my husband took a midnight flight, which I don't blame him for, to London. And I found out two weeks later he was in London. Well, at the time, it was devastating for me. I couldn't believe that he just took a midnight flight over London and just left me like that with a house, um, which obviously I couldn't pay for anymore, but continued living there until I had to, I had to eventually get out. I then moved to a, a, a poorer area in Brooklyn in Cape Town, uh, where I started drugging even more. Um, eventually, me and my son landed up without food one day, and I took him to my mom's house in Brooklyn, and I asked her for money for food, but my family had been through so much with me already. They tried to help me several times. Um, I had this attitude of, um, the Afrikaners say it so nicely, the colored people, Jaseni Femeni. Well, I had that attitude. Nobody could tell me anything. I didn't listen to anybody. So no matter what you see, it didn't change me. Um, so I went to my mom this, this particular day, and when I got there, she said to me, no, you laid your bed. You, you, you made your bed, now you lie in it. So I walked away there and I was sober and I was crying and I was thinking what a mess I am. And I walked into a friend of mine and she said to me, no, I don't know you like that. Come with me. And the next minute I knew I'd put my son in crèche. We, I had had him in the crèche for a while. Um, and I managed to be uh, this fantastic mom in front of people. He went to school every day uh, while well, it was first crèche. Um, and I made sure my son had everything. He was always clean, he, you know, he was always seen to, so that people couldn't point fingers at me. But then she took me to this place in Cape Town, Greenpoint, 
one day and I met this man, not realizing that this was my first customer. Um, it led me into prostitution. Well, that was um, very easy money. It changed my life even more radical um, because money was an endless source. And, you know, every time you needed drugs, you would just go and do what you have to go and prostitute yourself um, to get another fix. And so it went until my life really got totally out of hand. Um, I landed up in, in a rehabilitation center. Um, eventually, I agreed to go to a rehabilitation to try and change my life. Um, but it didn't help. Um, that was one of three. Um, every time they would just teach me skills and... Um, programs, but when you come out of there, I went back onto this, back back into the world, back into everything that I just came from. So, and it was very difficult to maintain what I had learnt when there was no um, there was no back back support. There was no no support for me. Um, and then I met I met one of these customers, um, a very rich man. Who, who looked after me for, he, he bought everything I needed, he paid my rent, everything. And so I had quite a good life, but that didn't help me with the drugs. Um, I just continued after coming out of rehab, I just went straight back into the drug life. Um, I was actually, I think, very upset with myself that I had now um, been owned, you can say owned by an older man. Um, you do it for the money and you do it for the drugs but it wasn't a nice thing, and I think deep down I knew that. So um, I would just drug and drug to, to not think about it, and eventually I moved in with him. Um, it was difficult. He, he was very good to me in, in many ways. Um, he tried to make a lady out of me, but you know, it didn't work, not with the drugs. Um, I actually felt like a prostitute then already. Um, and then... I got involved with the drug dealers. Um, for me, it was no, uh, not a problem to have affairs with the drug dealers and continue my drug story. And one thing just led to another, and I started with um, rocks, uh, cocaine, crack. Um, and that made it just worse because I couldn't sleep at night. I would just um, use mandrakes in the day um, to sleep and crack at night to stay awake. And my whole life just became about drugs and prostitution. Um, I was raped three times um, in that time. And each time I was choked, I was strangled. But by God's grace, I managed to get away. Um, I never ever had an opportunity to counsel about it. Even if you go and report it, um, the police would just laugh at you. So that was another thing I had to live with. My life became so out of hand, I, I, I had to consider giving, sending my son to his father in London. Um, that was a very sore point of my life because, um, you know, people think drug addicts don't feel. But um, sending my son away was like sending part of me away. It really killed me inside. And then I started, um, I met somebody else. I met another man, quite a, a, a professional man. And I started drinking. So it was the drugs, the drink and everything. One thing just escalated to another. Mm. Um, 
I then went to another rehab and I tried to stop. The, the, they say it's the best in the world um, the, where they teach you again skills and programs. And um, I came out of there and it didn't help me. I think I lasted three months, three months, and then I went back to my drug life. Mm. Um, I lost all my friends in this time. I lost my family. Nobody wanted to know me anymore. It was a real hard life. Um, my son had gone overseas. They promised me that I'd see him every holiday. They promised me that they would fly me overseas. And none of these promises were kept. And it, it got me inside. It ate me up inside. I eventually then fell pregnant from this, this man that I met, this other man. And um, he denied that the child was his. And he put me out of his house. And I landed up uh, back in Brooklyn. And from there, um, I had my daughter. And before I had her, I remember I was walking on the streets and my, my family were very disturbed. They thought because of my drug life, my daughter was going to be um, either paralyzed or um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like deformed or disabled. She would, she would be yes. deformed or blind or a mm. hole in the heart mm. because I had a sister who was high up in, in health mm -hmm. and she knew these things. And then she said to me that there's going to be something wrong with the child. Don't you want to go for an abortion? Well, I went. I went to the first doctor. It was illegal at the time, but somehow they made a way. And I couldn't go through with it. I just couldn't go through with it. I said, I can't do this. And I walked away. I then went back to my family at a later stage and it was a big argument and a big thing about me being pregnant again. And I agreed for a second time and I couldn't go through with it again. I went all the way to one of the hospitals and I couldn't go through with it. I walked away. Excuse me, Gail. Um, you say go through with it. You mean specifically go through with the abortion? Yes, I yes. just I just couldn't do it. Um, mm -hmm. Knowing that mm -hmm. I was going to kill my child, mm -hmm. I, I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there was times on the street where I was high pregnant. I was five months the last time they sent me. The third time uh, they sent me for an abortion, I was five months. Mm -hmm. um, I, I know I was very hungry on the street one day and I, I, I couldn't, I, I, it was hot. And I sat down and I cried and I thought, I can't do this anymore. And then they arranged for me to go a third time. And when I got there, the child had had, had been so alive in my stomach and I, I could feel this child in my stomach. I couldn't go through with it. Mm. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. This this, this person was alive. Mm. Yeah, so I walked away and I had my daughter, um, much to their dismay. And then after three months, um, I gave a foster care to my mother. Um, after having her because my life was so uh, out of hand, um, I couldn't I couldn't keep her. Um, I was taking her with me to the drug houses, and it was just not not um, it was not right. So I gave her I gave her to my mother in foster and uh, not in foster care, just temporary foster care. Um, but behind my back they went and somehow they got it right. She landed up being in foster care. Um, they tested her for, for everything, all, all the symptoms, um, thinking that there was going to be something wrong with her. And by God's grace, she is perfect. She was perfect. Mm. 
so anyway, um, that's what, that was my daughter. Um, I eventually saw her every weekend, but that was my two children gone. So by this, in this, at this stage of my life, I had lost my work. I had lost my husband. I lost my house. I lost my children. Mm. Um, it was just loss after loss after loss. Um, and it was difficult for me to get back on track again. I just didn't know how. The only way for me to survive was to, to try and disappear in this drug world of mine by drinking and drugging mm. and just feeling uh, numb, I think. You know, I just numb myself. Um, eventually, eventually, we used to eat at different venues every day and the one church asked if I needed help and they remembered this place, Kwasi Sabantu Mission. Um, I went to Kwasi Sabantu Mission um, in Malmesbury and in the beginning it was like this weird place all these people I'd, it's just so far away um, I didn't know what I was doing there but the love that I received there from the people that I lived with it was really the love of God I couldn't wake up I just wanted to sleep and I just heard them in the background talking about counseling and the Lord and giving your life to the Lord and I thought no the, after the second day I, I got up and I I took a walk to the dam and I cried my eyes out thinking about what a mess my life was and my husband and what I did. And then I thought I better go and counsel and I sang that song, Seek Ye First, The Kingdom of God. Mm. And when I when I got to the counselor's house, I said to her, please, I just need to tell you I'm a mess. And I just poured my heart out to her. And then she prayed for me and she gave me that scripture, Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom mm. of God. So immediately the Lord touched me. It, it was like I couldn't believe that. They knew that the song that I just sang at the dam, and here this, this counselor gave me the scripture. And then the Lord, I started confessing my sins, cleaning my heart. Um, I did restitution. I had to go back to people that I lied to, that I stole from, and and go and, and ask their forgiveness. Um it was difficult, but it's amazing how the Lord worked. He, he goes before you and he prepares the way. And um, they forgave me. And I made right wherever I could with my family. And the Lord really blessed me. And I have this wonderful life now. And um, I fell I fell again, but the Lord raised me up. He raised mm. me up again. Mm. You know, sometimes we have to fall because we're not at the end of ourselves mm. yet. And the Lord allowed it with me so that I can realize, where do you want to be, Gail? And I said I love him, and I said I want to serve him with all my heart, mm. but I wasn't at the end of myself. So he had to take me there to find out that this is the life that I wanted. This is where I want to be. I want to serve the Lord for the rest of my life. Mm. So I'm very thankful for Kwasi Savantu Mission. I'm thankful to the Lord that he saved me, because if it wasn't for him, I, I would probably be dead by now. Mm. Um, th there are certain things that happened. I, I have emphysemia. That's through my drug life. Um, I contracted cancer of the uterus years ago, which is, was, is healed. And the Lord carries me each and every day. And I, uh, I owe him my life. And I thank mm. him for this. And all glory to God. Mm, thank you very, very much, Gail, for sharing your testimony with us. 
and I can really testify personally of the change that is that that, that the Lord has brought in her life, because I remember when she came to us for the first time, she was really in a state in the Lord. In his grace and in his love came and he made her new. And I would really like to encourage those of you who are listening, like I said in the beginning, that it is not a coincidence that you tuned in tonight, um, that the Lord has made this appointment with you. And um, maybe while you were listening, you could think back of your own life. And maybe there were associations in your own life. An important point that I would like to mention out of Gail's testimony is that many of us come out of homes that uh, maybe the parents were not married happily or the parents were not married at all. Maybe it's just a single mother home or there's just this instability in the house. And because of this, the children in the house become very unhappy and they get hurt. And maybe you are that person tonight who is sitting with that hurt. And out of your hurt you went and you wanted to fill the gap with different things. Maybe you thought if you have money or if you have education or maybe the devil lied to you and said, listen, if you can just have a good guy or a girl in your life, if you can have a boyfriend or a husband or a wife that can look after you well, um, or maybe for some of you he came with a lie of alcohol or drugs like he came in Gail's life as well, then um, I would like to encourage you that the only person that can fill that gap in your heart is the Lord Jesus Christ. Make a decision and come to him. You you can um, call this number. I will give the number just now at the end of the program. Um, you can call the number and speak to our leader, Tinas Lewis, and tell him this and this is my problem. This is how... I, I feel this is how I've, uh, what I've been struggling with and make a surrender to the Lord. Or maybe you know about a family member or a friend who needs that help. You can, you, um, can also call us. Um, yes, uh, sorry, Gail, you wanted to mention something. Sorry, Lydia, I just wanted to say quickly, um, you know, all the three rehabs I went to, why I never also got helped was they teach you programs and skills, mm. but they don't, tell you that without the Lord Jesus you cannot do it because he's the one that sets you free mm. and when he sets you free you are free indeed mm. yes. I just wanted to share that yes no thank you that's very important yes so like I was saying that maybe you need that help or you know of someone who needs the help we are Kwasisabantu a place where people are helped so we take people in People phone us and they can come and stay with us for free. We don't charge any money because what we do, we do it for the Lord and because we love souls. So um, you can come and live with us. We give you a place to uh, sleep. We give you three meals a day. But most importantly, 
we give you counseling where you can come and open your heart and just literally unburden yourself. Now, unfortunately, we don't have um, accommodation for ladies at the moment. We used to, but not at the moment. So we only focus on the young men. So if you are that young man tonight or you know of someone or maybe you are a mother and your son needs help, please feel free to contact us. So our contact details, the office number is 022 or you can also contact our leader Tinas Lewis at 082-3786-822. Let me just repeat that. Office number 022-485-7548 or Tinas Lewis at 082-3786-822. Thank you so much for listening. We really trust that the Lord has uh, used this in your life and has encouraged you. May the Lord bless you and may you have a sweet good night's rest. Bye-bye for now.